with which I had contractual obligations as well as long-term personal friendships, so it was out of the question that I accept the American's offer without first getting permission from the managing editor, Jean-Jacques Servin-Schreiber, author, incidentally, of Le Défi Américain, The American Challenge. My concerns were well-founded, since he immediately voiced his opposition to my getting involved in the project. Sheepishly, I went straight away to see Curtis Prendergast, Times Paris bureau chief, to offer my apologies. My behavior had been thoughtless, and I had let him down. Prendergast, however nonplussed he might reasonably have felt, is an affable man, and he didn't reproach me in the least. But soon after, again a delayed reaction, I had a brainstorm. I would make the trip to the United States anyway. Since L'Express had insisted that I drop the project, I felt the magazine owed me something in return. So I decided to present my brilliant idea to the literary editor, Françoise Giraud. Over lunch at Televence, I suggested that an all-expenses-paid trip to the USA would, from my point of view, be entirely adequate compensation for my frustrated time ambitions. My colleague barely blinked. Back in her office at L'Express that afternoon, she gave instructions for airline tickets and an advance on expenses. From 1953 to 1969, living in Italy and then in France, I had watched and formed my opinion about the United States through the filter of the European press, which means that my judgment was unfavorable. Europeans at that time saw America as the land of McCarthyism and the execution of the Rosenbergs, who were innocent, we believed, of racism and the Korean War, and a stranglehold on Europe itself, the American occupation of France, as Simone de Beauvoir and the Communists used to say. And then Vietnam became the principal reason to hate America. Since the end of the Cold War, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the liberation of Eastern Europe, and the realignment of a polarized world, it is often said that today's anti-Americanism derives from the fact that the United States is now the hyper-power, a term made fashionable by Hubert Vedrine, a French minister of foreign affairs. This interpretation assumes that American hegemony was previously easier to justify, first because it dominated fewer nations, and second because it answered to the need to protect against Soviet imperialism. But this doesn't reflect reality. Anti-Americanism was almost as virulent during the period of threatening totalitarianism as it has been after that threat disappeared, in its Soviet version at least. Within some democratic countries, a subset of the population, some political parties and the majority of intellectuals, were prone to adhere to communism, or at least support similar ideas. For this crowd, anti-Americanism was rational, since America was identified with capitalism and capitalism with evil. What was less rational was their wholesale swallowing of the most flagrant and stupid lies about American society and foreign policy, and their careful spurning of accurate knowledge of the communist systems. An irrational anti-Americanism, with a blind rejection of factual and verifiable information about America and its anti-democratic enemies, was even more paradoxical among those sectors of Western opinion, the majority, in fact, who feared and rejected communism. At the beginning of the twenty-first century they are rising above the former prejudice. On the other hand, the anti-Americanism of the right, and even the extreme right, as blindly passionate as the left's, though with a different rationale, is characteristically a French phenomenon. The European right's anti-Americanism stems fundamentally from our continent's loss during the twentieth century of its six-hundred-year leadership role. 
Europe had been the powerhouse of enterprise and industry, innovator in arts and sciences, maker of empires, in practical terms master of the planet. It was sometimes one European country, sometimes another, that took the lead in this process of globalization of entre lettres, but all more or less participated, either in concert or by turns. Today, by contrast, not only has Europe lost the ability to act alone on a global scale, but it is compelled in some degree to follow in the footsteps of the United States and lend support. It is in France that this loss, real or imaginary, of great power status engenders the most bitterness. As for the anti-Americanism of the extreme right, it is fueled by the same hatred for democracy and the liberal economy that goads the extreme left. Footnote. A typical example from among other publications of the same sort is the autumn 1996 issue of Identité, the review of...